Today, my guests are from UC Health. We have Michael Kalisher, the Director of HR Compliance, Farah Bowler, the Senior Director of Experimental Learning and an Associate Professor at the University of Colorado College of Nursing, and Linda Gordon, the Director of Diversion Prevention. Representation from Compliance, Nursing, and Pharmacy. It's a winning team or the beginning of a bad joke, maybe, I'm not sure. <laughs> They have implemented quite a few things at UC Health for diversion mitigation as well as monitoring. And I asked them to come and share with us some of those things that they're doing. So welcome, Michael, Farah, Linda. Hey, Terry. Thank you. Hi, Terry. Hi. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Absolutely, absolutely. So Michael, I'm gonna start with you. Sure. You were involved in random drug testing, implementing that for staff. So I'd like you to give us a little bit of background on why UC Health decided to look at implementing random urine drug screening for its employees. Yeah, sure. So um, thanks again for having me. I um, Thinking back to 2016, uh, the spring of 2016, there was a high-profile uh, drug diversion, not at UC Health, actually, but at a, another hospital in Denver. Um, it involved a surgical tech diverting fentanyl, and I'm sure your listeners have probably heard about it. And so that case kind of brought the, to the forefront again, you know, what, what can we do as an employer to prevent drug diversion? And so we had had our, our tactics and processes before, but it got us to sort of think a little outside of the box. And our leadership um, thought of the idea of potentially doing random drug testing to see if that might deter drug diversion. Uh, and so we looked into the feasibility, tried to navigate some of the uh, procedural issues um, and logistical issues, just because testing um, folks who are doing patient care can be challenging. You don't want to um, impact that patient care at all. And so uh, we started exploring it in the spring of that year. And we ended up piloting it, um, doing a surgical tech pilot. So we thought the surgical techs would be a really good group. Uh, when we talked with the surgical techs, uh, they were really supportive of it. Obviously, they were very aware of the, um, the high-profile diversion in, in a different hospital. And so kind of got a lot of buy-in there. And we went through that, uh, that pilot process. And before even a year was up, from spring to, it was January 2017, we ended up uh, implementing more widely with all safety sensitive employees. Okay, fantastic. So who is subject to the random testing? Yeah, so our focus with random testing is to um, solely narrowly focus on preventing drug diversion. And so what we did is we reviewed all of the roles um, at UC Health where there is a risk because of the access and proximity to divertible drugs. And so uh, anyone who is in a role uh, that we've classified has that higher risk because of their access, you know, think PICS access. Um, surgical tech obviously is, is, is nearby to divertible drugs in the procedures. Those folks are, are defined in the policy as safety sensitive and um, they are the folks we're testing. Great, yeah, I mean, you really would almost think that more facilities would do this. Right. I mean, it's an industry where it makes a difference if you're working impaired or not. So it would be nice to see more industries doing this. I know that I've talked about this before on a, a much earlier podcast, but my son went to a private school and they did random testing. 
And, you know, they had a couple of reasons for that is one, they were, you know, trying to, to keep an eye on things, but also they presented it as this is to help you if somebody is pressuring you or tempting you, let us be the out, you know, and say, oh, no, they test at my school. And, you know, so I might get caught. So I have to say no, so that you didn't look like you were just, you know, a wimp, like saying no. Um, and these days that saying no with all the illicit stuff is, is really extra important, I think. But that helped, I think, deter a little bit some of those students that maybe were, you know, a little bit more edgy and thought, okay, let's try it, but I better not, I might get caught because it's a real reality. Um, so did you base your program on another healthcare facility that had done this or did you guys just kind of do this all from scratch on your own without any other protocol? Yeah, so we started asking around, uh, trying to find if anyone else was doing it. And um, I'm sure there are probably some other health systems or hospitals out there, but we weren't able to find anyone else, except we did connect with um, a gentleman from Massachusetts General, uh, Dr. Mike Fitzsimons. Uh, he has a, and it was a much different sort of program in that uh, it's for the anesthesia doctors uh, regarding substance abuse. So not a program just tailored to prevent drug diversion, obviously, some crossover there with those issues, but um, he had implemented it at a much smaller level. I think it was about 250 maybe. Don't quote me on that, but uh, we reached out to him and asked him about how that worked. And, and he actually came out to Denver and consulted with us and kind of discussed some of the things we should be aware of, some best practices. Um, so it was, it was really helpful. Uh, but aside from that, and again, it wasn't exactly analogous, totally analogous, uh not much else out there so we had to kind of be uh you know pretty inventive with how we handled it right yeah so tell us what that implementation looked like i i could imagine there there's a lot of moving parts to this so what did that look like yeah so we actually ended up it, it was several phases i think about seven phases and i'm not going to go through all the phases obviously that takes that would take some time but focusing on some of the key parts, right? So certainly there's the research phase and just figuring out how do we do this? Can we do this? Um, what's the best way to do this? Drafting a policy. But then I think the part I mentioned before, just to talk about a little bit more, the surgical tech pilot that we did um, was really helpful. It was a few months. We actually reached out to surgical techs around UC Health and found some champions. So these are our leads or, or colleagues, not leadership. Uh, who were really supportive of this and, and tried to basically help us get the word out and find um, ways for us to dialogue with them. We shared drafts of our policy. We asked them questions. Um, so I think that was really valuable. And then also we did dress rehearsals, which I my boss suggested and I was like, really? And, and now I realize why it's a good idea. We started by just reaching out like we were going to do a drug test during this, this, this uh, dress rehearsal phase. And we contacted the leader in the department because the department leadership is very critical in helping us navigate around the patient care and make sure we timely get someone to report for testing. And so we reached out and said, we didn't, we were clear it wasn't a real test. We just said, hey, this is how this would work. What questions would you have for us at this point? What issues would you have for us at this point? Or what issues would you bring up at this point? Do you have any staffing challenges? And so it kind of just turned into like a brainstorming of, of what we don't know. You know, what do we not know and, and how can we get ahead of it? And then we did a second type of dress rehearsal where there was even another step. And we had um, the employee was notified as per our normal process, 
and they came down to employee health and, and they were again aware that it was just a dress rehearsal, but kind of an opportunity for them to briefly report, ask questions um, about how it would work. The employee health um, you know, staff showed them you know, what steps they would take and again, gave them an opportunity to, to ask questions, brainstorm potential issues, um, you know, like a shy bladder issue or, or what might come up. And so that was really, really helpful. And so after going through that, we ended up going wide with all safety sensitive employees uh, that January 2017. And the next phases involved our medical staff and medical staff, you know, same sort of roles, safety sensitive medical staff are, are in our program or in the pool, but we had to kind of do it in an even more phased approach because each medical staff area is very unique, and some of our doctors, um, physician assistants, don't are, are not employed by UC Health, and some are. And so, just trying to figure all that out and work with the medical executive leadership, um, and they were, you know, great to work with. And we were even able to get some champions in our anesthesia department um, among the physicians. And so, we had to sort of do those area by area. It wasn't as much of now we can go wide with all safety sensitive working out all those kinks, figuring out how the process could work. And so that went on for a period of time as we as we gradually expanded over that course of that following year into early 2018. Um, and so just thinking about the progression, we, we were able to go live with all of the areas of the physicians at that point and in the last, or with the medical staff rather, because it's not just physicians, in the last is that about five, four or five years, we've been testing as normal. So. I think that dress rehearsal was a great idea. I think I would have been like you, like, yeah, really? But it turned out to be very valuable. Exactly. I mean, honestly, the employee it got over some of their nerves too, right? Like you you announce a new a product. If you announce a new policy and it's involving random drug testing, you know, to just flip a switch is a little challenging. And if you haven't kind of provided the detail and our thought process and asked for feedback, I think that's a better way to go about it. And I do think if you're an employee who's in this pilot, probably a little stressful to have this new potential thing you're dealing with, um, a new policy in place involving drug testing. And so getting some of their nerves out and then we didn't you know, mandate it or anything, but we just hoped that they would kind of spread that word of how the process. Was sure. So. Yeah, sure. Can you tell us, have you had people come up positive? And if you have, what is your process then? Sure. Well, thankfully not that many over these years, but we definitely have had some and, um, as our policy states, a positive test is um, a violation of the policy and subjects that employ um, to uh, corrective action up to and including termination. Uh, just taking a step back though, as soon as we're notified from the lab um, that the individual is positive, uh, of course we remove them from work and put them out on an investigative leave. Um, but we also ask them what's going on, right? It's really important we understand, you know, tell us more. Um, and so reviewing that information, of course, like I said, they're, they're subject to that policy and, and corrective action up to and including termination, but we certainly want to just get some more information from the employee and talk through um, mm -hmm. our next step. What's going on? Okay. Now you're in Colorado. Sure. Marijuana has a place there. Mm -hmm. Do you uh, include marijuana in your panel? So in the random testing, since it's narrowly focused on divertible drugs, uh, drugs that are in our facilities. We don't have any marijuana in our facilities. So that's not on the panel. Um, I do want to note though, um, this is important to keep, keep, keep this in mind. We do test for marijuana on our reasonable suspicion drug testing process, just like we test for alcohol. You know, both are legal in Colorado, 
but both in perigo, and so you can't show up to work under the influence, you can't show up to work high. And so we've created um, a good detailed process with our management to ensure that there's appropriate review um, if, in, in the, if for some reason someone comes and appears impaired, we go through those steps. And um, if it triggers the criteria, they, they are sent off for that testing. So I just, I don't want to overlook that. You know? Right, yeah, no, that, I'm glad you pointed that out. That makes perfect sense. Have you had anyone that has refused to show up when they've been randomly selected? And if so, how do you handle that? Yeah, so thinking over the years, a small number as well. Um, early on, we had someone who had refused to show up and I got on the phone with the employee and it, it was early on. And so I'm not even sure. So remember these folks are busy, they're taking care of patients. Who knows if they're able to always see every email notifications of new processes and policies. And so I think the employee was confused and thought maybe that they were being selected because we suspected them of, of use. And I, and I kind of just flat out explained how this process works, how it's totally random and use a random number generator to determine who's tested from our pool actually got that person to feel a little bit better and they ended up proceeding and testing, um, thankfully. But we've also had a few folks who just didn't show or, you know, whatever. For whatever reason, they chose not to come. And that very clearly is stated in the policy that it is um, a policy violation, just like a positive test. And so they face those same uh, consequences. Okay. So once you confirm they got the message and they knew they were supposed to report and didn't report. Okay. All right. Exactly. That makes sense. I, I'll note that there's always important that we should look and ensure, yeah, were they notified? Is there any mitigating factors? You know, if a doctor is selected and they're in the middle of a surgery, something to think about, you know, you're not going to pull them out of surgery, but assuming that this person could walk over and the manager, you know, is trying to send them over and, and they don't want to come test for whatever reason. Right then that's a violation for sure. Right, right, yeah, okay, all right, that sounds good. All right, so random drug testing is just one arm of the prevention piece. And Farah, I know that you have done a lot of work surrounding another component that involves kind of prevention and monitoring. So tell us about that. No, yeah, thank you for that, Terry. Yes, um, one aspect when we first developed our uh, diversion prevention committee, um, one element that we noticed um, within our organization and just um, generally speaking um, within diversion prevention um, was the area of wasting. Um, so the wasting process was identified as a vulnerable point um, in practice for diversion of controlled substances. Um, we also, with further looking into it a little bit more, we found that the procedural steps of wasting um, really haven't been taught in academic settings. Um, so just like um, a, a medication administration are taught within a nursing program, um, the steps within wasting um, haven't been well defined um, as to accountability and expectations around wasting. The other component of wasting is that um, there's quite a bit of variation in practice, not just within nursing, within other um, healthcare professions. Um, and it relies a lot on human factors, um, in which case um, that even increases the, um, increases the vulnerability um, for diversion in that area. Um, so we took a deep dive into um, the wasting and what we um, created uh, are six rights of wasting. They follow along with the six rights of med-administration, um, but the six rights of wasting, um, the right time, the right drug, the right amount, right witness, right method of disposal, and then documentation. 
And so identifying what each of those components um, would be, uh, what does that look like with the wasting, and ensuring that the witness is, um, is present as an independent review of that waste um, and within documentation for that too. So with, um, with each of these, though, um, with bringing this in, uh, we went over, um, we revised a policy. Um, so we wrote a policy on wasting, um, specific identifying these six rights. Um, also, our procedural um, elements or uh, um, procedural um, platform that we use, we made sure that that was updated also. Um, there were some process changes in our electronic medical record as to documentation and how we um, tracked and, and documented uh, the waste process uh, along with the administration. Uh, we created some practice tip flow sheets um, and then also had an educational course that touched really on three elements. One, um, diversion awareness. Everybody's accountable um, to this and ensuring that we have a, um, a well workforce um, is one. Um, the wasting process and accountability within wasting specifically, and then the practice changes that came out of our electronic medical record were also covered. Um, this was a large rollout for all of our nurses, about 7,000 nurses across um, our 12 facilities. Um, so it was a very large um, implementation period um, with it um, that these changes were, um, were brought out. That sounds great. I know on the one hand, it seems like it should be so obvious the steps to take, right, for wasting. Mm -hmm. But you, I'm, you've probably, both Farah and Linda especially, have observed up on the floor several times where they, you know, just log in and then they turn around and they walk away and there's really no observation, right? So I, I'm going to speculate that one of the key things, I mean, they, they know what they're supposed to do um, just inherently, I would think, is what, but one of the key things was that education surrounding diversion and what diversion is. And therefore, that is why you need to watch and observe and witness. That's the whole point of the witness, right? It's not just busy work to give you one more thing to do, but I think that the education piece of that probably really did a lot to impact your program. That's mm -hmm. my guess. Yeah, it's um, it's a, it was really more about the awareness, right? So to your point yeah. about awareness of diversion and um, how to not only protect your own practice, but um, being um, you know, careful of others, meaning watching out for others and compassionate about others, and um, and also their practice um, around wasting. And so that if everyone really steps it up a notch as far as accountability um, right. and the expectations around it. Interestingly, though, to your point that inherently that one would know how to waste that's not always the case. Meaning if you were always taught that it's okay to um, log in and walk away um, during a, wa a wasting process, then that's how you're taught. And um, right now, um, with it not being in academic um, uh, educational kind of forums, um, being taught in schools as to best practices around wasting, then it is reliant on um, nurse to nurse or colleague to colleague um, wasting practices. And I think that's where it's really been diluted and kind of um, moved away from best practice um, has been kind of this uh, handoff of expectations around it. Good point. I guess after you spend so long in this space, it's like, how could you not know? But um, I guess you're right, depending on on the culture and what they've been taught. And and, and it is it is amazing to me mm -hmm. as I meet people that really 
and, and you meet them all the time, they have zero awareness and diversion. You know, you mention it and their eyes get all big, like, huh, what? And so you take one of those, you know, maybe younger nurses that has mm -hmm. zero awareness and they've been taught that it's okay to, to walk away then, right. I, I think this also, this goes to point to the different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Don't take anything for granted. And these different perspectives are so important because you do learn things from from other people. And then, you know, sometimes we have to start from scratch when we feel like we shouldn't have to. But right. And the other um, point of this um, of this is really uh, by defining what a witness looks like and defining what waste should look like, it really empowers um, nurses to to have a voice uh, mm -hmm. uh, for best practices. So if they see something that is not um, following um, the six rights of wasting, that they're able to identify that and speak up um, as to what ba uh, best practices should look like, and that they're accountable to that um, to keep um, their own practice again um, in line. Um, and before, if um, they weren't empowered to do that, um, then if uh, another nurse was doing um, having a practice that wasn't something that was upholding um, to this, then they could um, walk away and not have a voice for that. So part of the awareness is also empowering them um, to speak up for, for um, the best way to do this, to keep each other safe. Oh, fantastic point. Yeah, if you've got somebody who knows better, but they're kind of being bullied a little bit, pressured into, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, I got this. But now they can turn out and say, no, we're supposed to, you know, we've been trained to this. So very, very good point. I like that. All right, Linda, you are overseeing a more classic monitoring piece of the program, but I want you to share with us your experience in rolling out that piece of what you are overseeing. For sure. So um, I joined um, as the diversion um, program director last summer. And prior to that, I had I've been with UC Health for nearly six years. So there was already some great work going on. Michael and Farrer were part of that diversion steering committee that was in place. Um, I, if I recall directly correctly, since um, 2019. So we had things in place such as um, diversion action committees um, if a diversion is suspected, um, whether that's brought forward um, due to behavioral reasons or reporting, um, the pharmacy manager would usually consult with the nursing manager and then they would um, get in touch with the, this whole team, which includes HR and usually the CNO um, that is over that particular facility, um, sometimes risk management, and make a determination as to whether or not an investigation should be started and then um, we would do a full-blown investigation usually going back and looking at reports for over 60 to 90 days and um, determining um, you know what action we should take and sometimes calling in that employee for an interview and, um, and this goes back to the drug testing as well sometimes that person would then um, be tested um, on on suspicion so um, they are normally placed on investigative leave when that happens, and then we await the results of the, the test, um, the drug test, and to ensure that it's negative. And then we usually put some um, practice improvement plans in place um, with that particular employee. It all depends on the situation. Um, so when I joined, we were rolling fantastic. I was very excited about it because I had been in a previous pharmacy manager role where I had to pour over the automated dispensing machine reports and then you match those up with security camera footage and 
um, you know, other data from nursing managers and try to put it all together. And this AI platform brings everything together and looks at overall trends um, regarding a staff member's behavior and um, gives us a good picture and allows us to rank those um, staff members as far as risk and allows us to focus our efforts on those that are considered high risk. Um, one of the great things about what we did with our program is the collaboration that we had between pharmacy and nursing. It was basically a pharmacy driven rollout to start. Um, but we had a nursing champion as well, and we piloted this program at three of our smaller facilities um, led by that nursing champion and gathered information in their facilities. And then we utilized that information to roll out education to our nursing leadership and all of the other facilities prior to the full system-wide rollout. So we um, spent I, it was probably a month or two prior to the full rollout um, where we um, had meetings with nursing leadership as well as their CNOs, talked about why we, you know, the why behind we were rolling out this AI platform, how we were going to do it, and then what it was going to look like. Um, so that really helped us in, in preparing the teams ahead of time for what they were going to be seeing. And then um, we have worked with them, held you know regular meetings. I hold monthly meetings with our pharmacy leadership as well as nursing leadership to discuss issues that we're seeing, um, you know whether it's mapping or practice issues and that type of thing. Um, one thing that is um, is that it is not only raising awareness of diversion and helping us with our diversion audits. We also were able to identify safety issues. So it's been great as far as med safety. We identified practice issues that were um, being brought forth through the events that we were seeing on this AI platform. So um, just as some examples, we would see things like um, editing of administration times or removing a medication under one patient profile but administering to another patient or removing under one dosage form and then administering under another. And so those particular things threw off the, the audits that were being conducted through this AI platform. And so they would show up as events that needed to be addressed. And when we discovered all those practice issues, we worked with our um, nursing and professional development team here at UC Health and created um, what's referred to as a ULEARN, a learning module that is required for all staff members that are removing control substances from so it was a safe medication administration you learn. Um, it's required for all new hires and it goes through all of those things that we saw that were practice issues and then also touches on, on diversion. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, these AI platforms are really fantastic for identifying that poor practice thing. And I, I think people just kind of tend to drift and if they have no one holding them accountable, they either may not know they're doing anything wrong. They don't think of the ramifications of what they're doing as being a safety thing. It's just a shortcut, perhaps. But once you can start identifying those, then you can start that education piece and then make things safer in general. And then, of course, you can use it for that diversion trending. So, yeah, those those AI platforms are fantastic with that. Is there any lesson learned that you have from rolling out this from scratch? Um, 
to to start, I think probably the the biggest issue is that although we have a system formulary, we didn't have standardization um, regarding the naming conventions within our automated dispensing machines. So one medication may be um, classified in one way at one facility, and then it's done another way at another facility. So it was very segmented. And um, you know, if you're if a, a hospital system that has multiple facilities is thinking about doing a rollout, it's best to sort of clean up those things up front and get everything standardized and then it'll make it a lot easier. Um, I have heard in speaking with other facilities that um, if you don't have buy-in from all parties involved, obviously it's gonna be difficult. So um, as I mentioned, our collaboration with nursing was wonderful because um, we were able to you know, there was maybe some initial pushback because it, it seems like, okay, work on us. We have all of these events that we need to look at and take care of. But then my response was, well, if we take care of our practice issues, then those number of, of events really, you know, falls to, to practically nothing. So um, it, it greatly reduces the number of events that you're viewing if the practice issues are addressed as well. So standardization and then just making sure that you have buy-in. People need to know the why behind why you're doing something and then how you're going to roll it out. And then if there's going to be, you know, support for that program once you roll it out. Right. A couple of great points. You know, one thing I noticed that seems to be consistent in all three of your stories with the different things that you're doing, and I'm, I'm sure there's a lot more that's going on too at your facilities, but each of you spoke about the integration of the staff in this new process rollout. You really included them with, you know, here's the new policies and procedures. Let's do these practice runs. Let's have this conversation about what this looks like. Let's work together. I want you to see this before we roll this out. Let's get your input on this. And I think that's fantastic. I think sometimes those in leadership forget about that because it's easy to think, well, we don't need their buy-in. This is what's happening, right? This is the best thing that we need to do. We need to implement this. But we forget that one, those different perspectives may share something that you didn't think about. And then two, it's just part of that process. If you get their buy-in, then things usually do go more smoothly because you have included them just by nature of including them. So I think that's an important thing to remember. Do any of you have anything else you wanna add or share about any of these programs or any lessons learned that you think would be beneficial for somebody else thinking about doing one or more of these things? I think I would just um, add that while we're at one large organization and we had three, not separate projects, they were still under the umbrella of diversion prevention, but it was really the synergy between all three that made a strong um, impact for our organization. Um, so it wasn't just one, um, any of these isolated um, singly, um, but the synergy between them and the, some other things that we've done um, that um, strengthened our program as a whole and our diversion prevention um, interventions and in, in program that we're um, looking to, um, to do, so. Yeah, absolutely. And sending a message to everybody, staff, leadership, everyone, that we take this seriously, right? Exactly. And I sort of hit on it before, but I would just also say, 
flexibility with how we do the program or how anyone looking at implementing this does. Certainly you have to have a compliant process and policy, but understanding, like I mentioned, that you might, um, since patient care is the first priority, you might need to get think outside the box, work around those sorts of issues. The transparency piece that you mentioned, Terry, uh, really important, just being upfront, I think, with, with the staff who are affected, I think you get better results. And then I think just with random testing particularly, the focus of this or the, or the reason you think about doing this is to deter drug diversion, mm -hmm. right? And so in the case that obviously, you know, if you, if you look at a situation, hopefully it deters many, but even if you deter just one diversion from occurring, um, maybe that person gets um, treatment or doesn't divert, hopefully doesn't divert in any other facilities, uh, that is a, a win for patient safety, protecting our patients, and um, certainly avoiding uh, the process of dealing with the repercussions of that. Um, so having a, a, a policy, a random drug testing policy, I think that the benefit we've learned is is about the deterrent factor. Yeah, yeah, I would think it would lead to a safer place for your patients. You know, if the word is out, UC Health has random drug testing, well, then I'm not going to go there if I have a problem. <laughs> There's a higher chance of me getting caught, right? So I think that's great. All right. Well, I want to thank all three of you for your time today. This was, I think, a lot of great information. I think the listeners will really enjoy hearing and will be able to take away some, some really great points from it. So thank you very much for sharing. Thanks, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Bye-bye. Thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Absolutely.